Okay, let us turn our Bibles to John, chapter 7, verse 25 to 44. And I will be reading from the NIV version today. Uh, Before we read God's word, let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we are so thankful that we are able to gather here today to hear your word, to listen to your word and to digest it and put it to good use to glorify you. We ask that as um, we hear the word being delivered and preached to by Pastor Joseph, that you bless him to teach us with clarity and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. At the point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill. Here he is speaking publicly and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is truth. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I go to one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go? And we cannot find him. Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but but no one laid a hand on him. This is the word of the Lord. Very good morning, church. The Lord be with you. 
Now we continue with our study of John's Gospel. We are taking a bit of time uh, getting through the details of the narratives that highlight the identity of Christ, of Jesus. Now each detail adds to our understanding of who Jesus really is. And when we know who Jesus really is and what he has done for us, our love for him will deepen and our worship of him will be magnified. Now today, critics say that church traditions have added layers and layers of myths on the true historical figure of Jesus, such that the Jesus of the four Gospels in the Bible is not the true Jesus of history. Now, according to these critics, the historical Jesus could never truly be known. And they postulate that the historical Jesus was a holy man in Galilee who went from place to place to preach kindness to others. And he never performed miracles. And he did not rise from the dead. And he was like any one of us, a mortal. Jesus was only a human being. So how do we respond to this critics? Well, we respond to them by noting that there is sufficient, solid scholarship affirming the four Gospels as the reliable source to go to to find out who Jesus really is. You see, scholars have all agreed that the portrait of Jesus that emerges from the four Gospels is rooted in history and that this portrait is authentic. And so as we continue our study of John's Gospel, um, we can be confident that the Jesus portrayed in the narratives is the true historical Jesus. And the Apostle John has been presenting the historical Jesus as a man who made unique claim of his authority. And this authority is because of his unique relationship to God. And Jesus consistently claimed to be equal with God. And people in Jesus' day were divided in their opinion of him, asking, who is this man? The religious authorities asked the question. The Pharisees asked the question. And so did the ordinary people in the street. So Jesus, we may say, was the controversial figure. Not that he loved to stir up controversies, but that the people would debate about his teaching and the people would have opposing views of his identity. And this is what we will learn in chapter 7. Now, we have only read the middle section of chapter 7, but we will make references to the first part of the chapter as well as we get to understand what this chapter is trying to tell us, that Jesus is who he claims to be. Now, verse 25 and 26 read, At that point, 
some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? Now we are joining in at the middle of a robust and somewhat heated public debate between Jesus and the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem. And so we need to know what the debate is all about and how the big debate began. So the, we have to go to the first part of the chapter that tells us that Jesus returned to Jerusalem from Galilee for the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles is spread over a seven-day period. Now, Jesus knew that the Jewish authorities would be on the lookout for him to arrest him because a year earlier, he had miraculously healed a paralytic man by the pool on the Sabbath. And you may remember that incident in chapter 5. Now, to avoid undue attention, Jesus quietly slipped into Jerusalem halfway through the Feast of Tabernacles. And he goes into the temple courts and he begins to teach. And that is when the debate and the drama begin. Now the Jews in the temple are amazed at Jesus' teaching. They know that Jesus did not graduate from the known rabbinical, rabbinical uh, schools in Jerusalem. Yet he teaches with such authority and they therefore question his credentials and they ask among themselves, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And Jesus answers them and beginning in verse 16. Can we have the next slide, please? In verse 16, Jesus says, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. <clears throat> Whoever speaks on their own does, not, does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent me is a man of truth. And there is nothing false about him. Have you got the right slide? No, it's not working. Yeah. All right, so uh, this is what Jesus tells them. So Jesus is saying two things about his teaching. One is that his knowledge comes from God. And two, he always speaks the truth. Now this is a big claim, isn't it? Now, suppose a professor comes into the class and then pronounces that his knowledge is from God and whatever he says is the truth. Now, what would you think about him? Well, you would think that he's arrogant and full of himself and perhaps self-deceived. And that is probably what the Jews think of Jesus. They think that Jesus is out of his mind. And they think that Jesus is delusional. And so let us pause for a moment and ask, 
Is Jesus really delusional about his knowledge to claim that his knowledge is from God? Or is he really speaking the truth? Now we are told in the Gospels that many times Jesus knows what is in the heart of man. And Jesus knows who would betray him. And he has supernatural knowledge of events that will happen in the future. And are we surprised about that? No, because we know that Jesus is God and God knows everything. Yet when Jesus talks about his return to earth, he says that he does not know. He does not know the hour and the day of his second coming. Only the Father knows the day and hour. So what are we to make of, make of this? Is Jesus telling a lie here that he doesn't know the time and the hour of uh, his coming? Or is he pretending not to know? Well, it is neither. Jesus never pretends, he never lies, he never speaks any falsehood because Jesus is sinless. Although Jesus is fully God, he is also fully human. Now, in his divine nature, Jesus knows everything. He has supernatural knowledge and he performs miracles. But in his human nature, Jesus is subject to the limitations of the human body and he is subject to the limitations of human knowledge. And that is why Jesus felt hungry. He felt thirsty and tired and needed rest and sleep. And in his human nature, Jesus did not know the time and day of his second coming. And when Jesus teaches, he does not teach with the limitation of human knowledge. He teaches with the knowledge that comes from God. And there is no falsehood in his teaching. And that is why the people were amazed at his teaching. But the Jewish leaders will not accept Jesus' explanation. They are intent on killing him. And Jesus knows that. And he accuses the Jews of their murderous intention. But the Jews deny that, and the Jews counter-accuse Jesus, saying that he is demon-possessed, meaning that Jesus is out of his mind, and Jesus is illogical. Well, how does Jesus respond to that? Well, to show that it is not he who is illogical, but they, Jesus recalls his miraculous healing of the paralytic man. And so Jesus says in verse 21, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man, uh, for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Now you see, the Jews had objected to Jesus' healing of the man, to wholeness, 
on the ground that it broke the Sabbath. Yet they had no objection to circumcising a boy on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken. You see, the law of Moses is given to promote wholeness to a person. Circumcision signifies wholeness. And the healing of the man's whole body is even more significant because it is real. And so it is illogical for the Jews to be offended by Jesus healing the man on the Sabbath. Instead, they should rejoice. And so Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them, telling them not to make judgment based on appearances, but to judge correctly. And it is at this point that we are introduced to the debate. A larger group of people in a temple has also joined in the debate. And some of the people realize that Jesus is the same man whom the Jewish authorities were trying to kill a year ago. And yet here he is boldly teaching in public. And they wonder if the authorities have changed their mind about Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that is why Jesus is allowed to teach in the temple. But this new group of people express their doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is because they have wrongly understood that the place of origin of the Messiah is unknown. Whereas they know that Jesus is from Galilee. So they have doubt about Jesus being the Messiah. Because if the Messiah comes, we do not know the place of his origin. And so, Jesus takes the opportunity to clarify his real place of origin. So look at verses 28 and 29. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. Now notice that Jesus is being consistent in his claim. You remember last Sunday in Galilee, he told the people that he is the bread of life from heaven. And now in Jerusalem, Jesus says that he is from God and God has sent him into the world. And the implication of this is that if anyone wants to know God, they have to know Jesus first. And if they don't listen to Jesus, they are not listening to God. And so you can imagine the offense this caused the Jews. The Jews believe that they do know God because they have the law of Moses. So how dare Jesus say that he is the one who leads them to know God? 
So in their anger, they tried to seize him, and even the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. But Jesus is able to escape their arrest. Now, we are not told how Jesus escaped their arrest, but verse 30 tells us, that tells us the reason. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus' hour is the time when he would be arrested and crucified according to the Father's sovereign will. And that time has not come. Now then Jesus makes a cryptic reference to what will happen when his hour comes. So look at verse verses 33 and 34. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Now the Jews think that Jesus is going far away, to live among the dispersed Jewish community scattered throughout the Roman Empire. But Jesus is referring to his death. His, he is referring to his resurrection and then his ascension. And when he finally ascends to his Father in heaven, no one can find him and no one can go to where he has gone. See, only after his ascension to the Father will Jesus complete his earthly ministry by sending the promised Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus tells the people on the last day, the seventh day of the festival. And verse 37 describes the last day. It describes the last day as the greatest day of the festival. And this is because there is a climatic ending of the festival with a water-pouring ceremony. And you can imagine the water-pouring uh, ceremony. Um, to the shouts of praises to God, the high priest will go up to the altar and then he will pour water from a pitcher and pour water into a receiving bowl on the altar. And all the time, the people will be shouting, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Well, this water-pouring ceremony commemorates two things. One, it commemorates the time when God provided water from the rock when Israel was 40 years in the wilderness. The second thing the ceremony commemorates is this, or rather not commemorates, but it, the ceremony also points to the promise of God pouring out His Spirit in the future, in the last day, as was prophesied by Isaiah in his book. And this promise is recorded in Isaiah 40, chapter 44, verse 3. And God says, I will pour water on the thirsty land 
and streams on the dry land, uh, on dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. So this, this is the promise of God pouring out his spirit on his people. And that is what the water ceremony points to. And so you can imagine the scenario. As the high priest pours out the water onto the altar, Jesus suddenly stands up and shouts out in a loud voice, saying, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And this gets everyone's attention. Everyone stops whatever they are doing and they look at Jesus and they understand what Jesus has just said. You see, by timing his words with the water, with the water pouring, Jesus is saying that he is the fulfillment of God's promise of pouring out his spirit. So the people understand what Jesus is saying. But for the benefit of his readers, who may not understand, the Apostle John explains that Jesus is referring to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his disciples that will take place on the day of Pentecost. And up to that time, the Holy Spirit has not been given because Jesus has not yet been glorified meaning that Jesus has not yet ascended to heaven. But once Jesus returns to heaven, the Father and the Son would send the Holy Spirit to all who believe. Now when the people at the festival heard Jesus' words, some believed that he is the prophet whom Moses had promised would come. Others believed that he is the Messiah. Yet others had doubt. And so the people were divided in their opinion regarding Jesus. And it is the same today. Many believe that Jesus was just a holy man. Others will say that he is not God. But you and I, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And in believing, we have the blessing of the Holy Spirit. But you may ask, how do you know or how do I know I have the Holy Spirit in me? And I think that is a good question. And we will look to Scripture to find out. And here, Jesus gives us two criteria by which we will know if we have the Holy Spirit in us. Well, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So the first criterion has to do with this, 
What is the thirst that is driving you and that is driving me <clears throat> to come to Jesus? Now, we can be thirsty for many things in this life. Some of us are thirsty for worldly success. And so we spend our time on self-improvement courses. Some of us are thirsty <coughs> for being connected. So they are constantly on social media. Others may be thirsty for wealth. And so we keep track of our bank balance. And yet others are thirsty for power and they are always aiming for promotion. And some are thirsty for the perfect body, so they become exercise freaks. And some are thirsty for health, for perfect health, and they become obsessed with all kinds of health, food, and supplements. So what is the thirst that is driving you to Jesus? If these are your thirst that I've just mentioned, if these are your thirst, they are actually your idols. And if you come to Jesus hoping that Jesus can <clears throat> help you satisfy those thirsts and find fulfillment in your idols, then you will not receive the Holy Spirit. However, if you thirst for righteousness, if you desire to be reconciled to God because you know that you are separated from Him and you want to please Him in all that you do, and then you come to Jesus and He will give you the Holy Spirit because that is what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. The Holy Spirit will convict you of your idolatry so that you will turn away from your idols and worship the true God. The Holy Spirit will make you holy. He will help you fight sin and temptation. He will make you more like Christ. And the Holy Spirit will transform your life so that you will not love the world and things of the world but you will want to enjoy God and enjoy Jesus forever. So brothers and sisters, when you come to Jesus because you grieve of your sinfulness and because you thirst for righteousness, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit is in you. Now the second criterion by which we know we have the Spirit in us is when streams of living water flow within us. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow, will flow within them. Well, the phrase streams of living water is taken from the book of Ezekiel and it symbolizes the life-giving benefits of the Spirit of God. And therefore, when we have the Holy Spirit in us, we will be a blessing to others. Just as streams of water brings reju rejuvenation to a parched land, 
We bring spiritual refreshment to those who are spiritually dry. We bring refreshment to those who are spiritually weak and who are spiritually defeated. And so we become a source of spiritual strength. We become a source of spiritual blessings to our fellow believers through our prayers, through the sharing of God's words with them as we encourage them, and through our sacrificial actions of kindness and generosity as we love them. Now, we also become a blessing to non-believers. Non-believers are blessed when we extend to them the friendship of the Good Samaritan. And they are blessed when we share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they too may receive the gift of eternal life. So, brothers and sisters, let us ask ourselves this morning, Am I a source of blessing to others? If you are, then you know you have the Holy Spirit in you. And may streams of living water continue to flow from within you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words in the Gospel of John that show us the true historical Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And we thank you that Jesus is also the giver of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us to help us love Jesus more and more as he transforms our lives to be more and more like Christ. And please use us as a source of blessing to our loved ones and to the people around us so that they too will thirst and come to Jesus for the living water. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.